Genesis chapter 4 is where we're going to pick up. We uh, spent a couple weeks in Genesis chapter 3 looking at the fall, and uh, today we're going to look at chapter 4, uh, one of the implications of the fall, or I guess the results of, of sin entering into the world. So chapter 4, and I'm going to begin in verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. Father, we thank you for redemption in Jesus Christ. Father, we are aware that our sin, just like Cain's, cries out for justice, for wrath, for punishment to be given to us. But Lord, we are thankful that the blood of Jesus cries out on our behalf. Lord, we are thankful for the the ministry of Christ, the ability to have our sins forgiven, and victory over sin. And Father, we pray today that you would give us uh, grace to look at your word today, uh, to learn from it. Father, we understand that sin is crouching outside our door. And and we pray, Father, for, for your victory in our lives. We pray that we might respond rightly to our sin. We ask for the, the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, to come upon us today. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the things I think is interesting to do is to look at Genesis chapter 4 from from the vantage point of Eve, okay? Uh, We've got lots of mothers in here this morning, and so you understand what it is to be a mother. And so I want you to think of Genesis 4, not just from the context of what we read, but I want you to think of it from the context of Eve, the first mother, okay? Now, now, now I think, the reason I think that's interesting is because Genesis chapter 3 is where Eve decides to step out from under God's rule, out from under God's authority, out from under God's instruction, and do her own thing. And she does so, because if you remember from two weeks ago, because Satan promised her that it'll be okay. Okay, you remember that in Genesis chapter 3? Uh, the serpent tempts Eve and says, look, you know, this whole sin thing, disobeying God thing, nothing's going to happen. It's going to be harmless. It's going to be rewarding. It's going to be fulfilling. In Genesis 3, 5, he says, when you eat of the tree, your eyes are going to be open. He makes that sound like it's a great thing, like it's enlightened, like Eve, you're, you're going to see things you've never seen before. It's going to be wonderful. You'll be like God. You'll be your own God. You'll be independent from 
from God. He, the serpent says, you see how God is and, and how he makes his own decisions and does his own thing. Eve, you'll be just like that. You'll be important. You'll be happy. You'll be satisfied. He promises her all these great things that are going to come from sin and that there won't be anything harmful about it. And so in the next verse, verse 6 of chapter 3, Eve begins to look at the tree differently than she's ever looked at it before. She begins to look at the tree independent from God, apart from the word of God. And she decides in her own sinful state that it's good for food and the life for the eyes and desirable to make one wise. And she takes of the fruit and she eats of it. And in Genesis chapter 4, we see the result of all of that. And folks, what we see is that sin is a lie. Okay, it's a horrific lie. Satan is a liar and sin is a liar. And everything that was promised to Eve has not come true. Okay, she's standing over. Just picture the scene in your mind in Genesis chapter four. She's standing over the shallow grave of her second son, looking at the bloodstained hands of her eldest son. That is the result of sin. Okay. I mean, if you don't get anything else today from the message, I want you to just just to get that in your head. Sin never delivers what it promises. It never does. Okay, whatever sin promises you, anytime you're tempted to think that disobeying God is going to lead to your joy or to your success or to your happiness or to your well-being, I want you to get this picture in your mind of this mother who makes this one critical decision in her life to disobey God and, and, and the result of that falling generation after generation after generation is what we see in Genesis chapter 4 of violence and bloodshed and hatred and anger and sin against God. Folks, it never delivers what it promises. Now, one of the things that we see right away in Genesis chapter 4 is that Cain and Abel, the offspring of Adam and Eve, are not in the same position that Adam and Eve were. Adam and Eve were created in the likeness and image of God in a perfect way. The image had not been shattered yet because of sin. Okay, but what we see in the second generation is Cain and Abel don't have that same opportunity. They're already sinners, okay? Sin is already in the world. Romans chapter 5 verse 12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, So death spread to all men because all have sinned. Okay. So, 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 so what we see in in Genesis four is two sinners who who are coming to God and notice in, in chapter four, I think this is interesting. The setting of this chapter is a worship service. Okay. You guys came here today for a worship service. Now, I don't know exactly what's in your heart. We're going to see in a minute what's in Cain's heart. I don't know what's in your heart, but I hope what's in your heart today is that you came to offer something to the Lord, man. I, I hope that that's why you came. I hope you didn't come to get something. Now, I do hope that you get something. I I do hope that God bless you. But I hope that's not why you came. I hope why you came is because you know what Jesus Christ has done in your life. You know that God is the creator and sustainer of the universe. And you have come to offer your worship, your praise, your tribute, your thanksgiving, your obedience to God. I hope that's why you came. Because that's the context of Genesis 4, is a worship service. Now, obviously, Cain and Abel don't have a church like we have. They don't have pews. and They don't have a worship service or a music service like we have. Yet. I'm not sure exactly how their worship went, but the setting is, is that both Cain and Abel are coming to offer their offerings to God. They know that God is a creator. They know he's a sustainer. They know that, 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 that he is due their, their praise and their worship. And so they're coming to God to, to worship him. Now, what happens is Abel offers his offering. He is a herdsman. He offers a, 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 an animal, uh, the, the, the sacrifice of an animal. Cain offers his offering of, of grain. He's a farmer. And what we see is that God accepts Abel's offering, but he does not accept Cain's. 
The word except there is not in the passage. It's uh, verse 4. Let me read it to you. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard. That's the way the ESV says it. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. Verse 5. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. That word regard, it's interesting. In the Hebrew, it's the word that means to gaze at or to look upon. Uh, I would even translate it maybe pay attention to. And so we're not exactly sure how this happened. Uh, We know that at this point in, in human history, God still interacts with mankind on a, on, a, in a, on a visible almost level because he speaks to Cain. We understand that. And Cain doesn't flip out when God speaks to him. So obviously this was a thing that was known to them. Uh, of course, their parents, Adam and Eve, had, had a fellowship in the garden. And so, so at this point in human history, God is still interacting with man. And, and so we, we know that somehow they offer their offerings and God does not pay attention. God does not look upon with favor Cain's offering. He does not receive his offering. But he does receive Abel's. Now... The big question this morning is, why? Why does God receive Abel's offering, but he does not receive Cain's offering? Why does he look upon Abel's with favor, but he does not look upon Cain's? Now, what a lot of people are going to say, and I believe that this is true, is that it has to do with the sacrifice itself. Remember, Abel brings a blood sacrifice. He brings an animal that's slain. They, they slay an animal before the Lord. Cain, on the other hand, brings the first four, or the fruits of his, his crops. So grain or wheat or whatever he was harvesting, whatever he had grown, he brought that to the Lord. Now, why would, why would one sacrifice be better than the other? Because we understand from our Bible that all sacrifices, all, all sacrifices given to God are looking forward to the ultimate sacrifice, which, which was Jesus Christ, right? All the slaying of lambs and bulls and goats in the Old Testament. What was all that about? That was all about looking forward to the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who would die on the cross to take my punishment and your punishment upon himself. That is the only way that anybody in all of human history can be forgiven of their sins and saved from their sins is by the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so all sacrifices before that were a picture of the sacrifice that was to come. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 9 Verse 22, he said, the Bible says, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so Abel brought an appropriate sacrifice to the Lord, a blood sacrifice, picturing the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that would come. Cain brought another type of sacrifice, all right? Now, what I believe is happening here is I believe Cain's bringing what he wants. I don't believe that he's ignorant of, of what God has said because God tells him in verse 7, Look, Cain, if you do well, if you offer an appropriate sacrifice, will you not be accepted? And the implication there is Cain understands what he's supposed to do. He's simply not doing it. John MacArthur said that the heart of every false religion is people trying to come to God on their own terms, in their own way, instead of the way that God has prescribed for us to come to him. You look at every false religion in the world and what you're going to see is people People who are saying, I'm going to come to God, but I'm going to come on my terms, okay? Listen, folks, there's only one way to God, and that's through Jesus Christ. That's through the blood of Christ and through his sacrifice. And what I believe is happening here is Cain's not obeying God. He's not living by faith, okay? And the Bible supports that in the New Testament by saying that when Cain came, he did not come with a heart that was, that was right before the Lord. Let me read you some verses in the New Testament about Cain. First John chapter 3. Verse 12, here's what the, what the New Testament says about him. We should not be like Cain, 
who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. In Jude 10, it talks about all blasphemers walking in the way of Cain. In Hebrews chapter 11, listen listen to the difference it makes between Cain and Abel here. In verse 4 of chapter 11 of Hebrews, it says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. What did that just say? Abel offered a better sacrifice. How? By faith. Okay? And so what's clear from the Bible is that Abel came to God by faith. Cain did not. Okay? So, so, so possibly Cain was worshiping, but he was not worshiping with a right heart. He was, not, he was not worshiping out of love for God and trusting God and cherishing God. Rather, he was just coming because that was the good thing to do or the right thing to do or out of competition with his brothers. You know, you'll agree with me here, won't you, when I tell you that there are lots of wrong motives and wrong hearts in worship. That's not only true in Genesis 4. Isn't that true today? When you take all the people in the the United States of America right now that are gathered in a church building, I think all of us would probably agree not everybody's heart is right in that, right? There are people that come to church for the wrong reasons. I was one of those for 18 years of my life. I went to church, but it wasn't because I loved Jesus. It wasn't because I wanted to know more of the Word of God. It wasn't because I wanted to give thanks for the forgiveness of my sins. It was because my parents made me go. You know, and they told me I needed to be there. And I knew that that's what I should do if I didn't want to get in trouble. And I knew that that was the right thing to do. And I knew that I didn't want to go to hell. I needed to know that. And so I want to maybe put in my time if that's what it took. Okay. But I was coming with a wrong heart. I was not worshiping for the right reasons. And so some people go through the actions of worship, but, but, but their heart is not full of worship. Maybe they're trying to manipulate God. A lot of people are coming saying, okay, God, I'm going to put in my time. I'm going to go and I'm going to give a little money and I'm going to give a little time. But God, if I do that, then you better straighten out my life and you better clean up my mess and you better make this right for me. Okay, it's kind of trying to manipulate God. There are lots of wrong reasons to come before the Lord in worship. And so the real question is, what's in Cain's heart? And for us, what is in our heart? When Jesus looked around him. When he walked the earth, he saw lots of people that were saying the right things and singing the right songs and going to the right places and reading the right book. But their heart was not right before the Lord. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 8, he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So let me try to put these two things together that we see in Cain's life. Number one, we see that he did not offer the right kind of sacrifice. And secondly, we see from the New Testament that his heart was not right. I believe those two things go together. Okay, I don't think it's one or the other. I think it's both and. When your heart is not right, you're not going to offer the right sacrifice before the Lord. Okay, I don't think there are people whose hearts are right, but, but, they're, but they're not offering the right sacrifice. I don't think there's people out there whose hearts are right before the Lord, but they're not in church and they don't want to worship and they're not singing praises and they're not giving thanks, but their heart is right. No. No, it's not right. If your heart is right, you're going to offer to the Lord an appropriate sacrifice. And so what's clear is that Cain did not have the right toward God, right heart toward God. He didn't have a heart of faith. He wasn't treasuring God. He wasn't trusting God. He wasn't listening to God. He wasn't depending on God's word for his life. And because of that, he did not offer the right kind of sacrifice to the Lord. He went through the motions of worship without having a heart of worship. Okay, so his heart is not right. Now, if you if you'll if you'll allow me, I would say that we all can identify with this. 
I think if you're anything like me, there are times in your life where your heart's not right either, right? There are times when you come home and maybe you begin to interact with your spouse or your family or your friends or your coworker, and you know your heart's not right. It's bent the wrong way. You're angry on the inside or you're frustrated on the inside or you're, you're, you're greedy or you're covetous or you're lustful. Or there's something in your heart that's not right. Okay, now let me tell you what is a merciful thing that our God does. He did it for Cain and I believe he does it for us. God reveals that to Cain. He reveals to Cain that his heart is not right and he needs to get it straightened out. Notice in, uh, in verse 6, the Lord says to Cain, Why are you angry and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? You see what he's telling Cain? He's saying, look, Cain, you shouldn't be angry. You're angry. Your face, I can see it on your face. Isn't that true? You know what? I can. There's times where Em and I have been able to look at our kids and we've been able to say, hey, <laughs> your heart's not right, okay? I can tell by your face you're about to do something that's going to get you in trouble. So you need to check your heart. God sees that on Cain's face. He sees in his heart that he's not right before the Lord. He, he, his heart is not right. And so the real question is, how's Cain going to handle that? You know what Cain could have done? Cain could have responded in saying, oh, Lord, man, you're right. My heart's not right. I've not been trusting you. I've not been grateful to you. I've not been thankful. Lord, help me to offer appropriate worship today. He could have done that. You know what he could have done? He could have even gone to Abel, his brother, who did offer a right sacrifice. And he could have said, Abel, you know, I've been noticing that your heart's right before the Lord. And I noticed that God received your sacrifice. Would you show me? I want to have that kind of right heart too. I want to offer a sacrifice that's pleasing before the Lord. That's what Cain should have done. See, God gave him this great opportunity. Before he ever murdered his brother, before his sin ever came out in action, God put his finger on his heart and said, Cain, Cain, your heart's not right. You got to be careful here. But Cain did not respond. You you know how Cain responded? Look in verse... uh, um, where is it? Verse uh, five, six, yeah, five. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. It says, so Cain was very angry and his face fell. Cain is very angry. He's angry at God. Uh, he's projecting his anger at Abel. You know, a lot of times when you can't strike out at God, you strike out at the next best thing, the image of God and somebody else, right? You strike out at, at someone else. And it says that, that he's very angry. Angry. This is the kind of anger that exalts itself to the point where the life or the feelings or the reputation of, of the one to whom your anger is directed doesn't mean anything. That's one of the dangerous things about anger. Is when we get really angry, you know what happens? We exalt ourselves above everything else. Have you ever noticed that? When you're really angry, all of a sudden your feelings are more important than anybody else. And, and what happened to you is more significant than what anybody else is going through. And, and, and what's going on in your heart is more important than the, the well-being of those around you. That's what anger does. Uh, angry, when you're very angry, that's what it does. It makes self paramount. I mean, it exalts yourself to the point where you're saying, anything I do is justified. If I strike out, it's justified. If I curse, it's justified. If I call somebody a name, it's justified. If I slander somebody, it's justified. It's not, but anger makes us feel that way. And so God sees this wrong heart in Cain. And he says, Cain, you got to get a hold of this. He says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And look at the rest of verse 7. If you do not do well. In other words, Cain, if you don't fix your heart, okay, 
Your heart is full of bad stuff now, Cain. And if you don't fix it, look what he says. Sin is crouching at the door. It's lying at the door, Cain. It's right outside. There's something ready to pounce on you. And its desire is for you. But you've got to rule over it. That's a merciful thing that God did for Cain. Friday night, we had a wedding rehearsal up here. We had a wedding here yesterday. And so Friday night was the rehearsal and we'd gotten done with the rehearsal and I was locking up all the doors. The wedding party was still eating supper in the fellowship hall. They were going to go a little bit later, but I was going to go ahead and lock everything up. And then I was going to go out the back door. And as I went out this side door over here to unlock it, when I opened it up, there's a skunk right there. And his tail is up like this, you know, facing me. And I quickly switched the lock on the door, pulled it shut. And then I did a very merciful thing. I went into the fellowship hall and I told the wedding party. I said, guys, I need to tell you something. Lying outside the door is a skunk. And you need to beware when you go out or it will drastically change what the wedding is like tomorrow. Okay. <laughs> In a way, that's what Cain, that's what Cain got from God. He said, look, there's something dangerous lying outside your door, Cain, and it's sin. Your heart is not right. And if you don't take care of this, man, your life is going to drastically change. It's going to stink, okay? I mean, that's essentially what God was saying. He's got to deal with the sin in his life or that sin will master him. You know, aren't there times where God gives us this kind of merciful warning in our own lives? Aren't there times where God puts his finger on our heart? I'm not talking about your actions. See, see, before he ever before he ever did anything, God put his finger on Cain's heart. You see, because so many times before the action is done, before the 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 the, the dollar is spent, before the, the 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 words are said, before the, the deed is done, before the sin is accomplished, before that, it's in our heart. And God is so merciful, so many times he's done this for me to say, Jason. Just in the quietness of my mind, Jason, your heart is not right. And I have this opportunity where I know, I should know from the word of God that, that sin is crouching outside the door. And how I respond, whether I get my heart right, is going to make a big difference in the rest of my life. But you know what Cain did? He did what a lot of us do sometimes. We think, no, I'm not going to change my heart. Now, you know what I think a lot of times? This, Bob didn't say this is what Cain thought. But, but here's what I think a lot of times. I think, well, I'm not going to change my heart, but I'm not going to sin either. You know, I'm not going to do something stupid. And I'm, I'm not going to blow off the handle. And I'm, I'm not going to say all these horrible things. And I'm, I'm not going to do this terrible thing. But I'm, I'm not going to get rid of my bad heart either. I'm not going to take care of my unforgiveness. I'm not going to take care of my anger. I'm not going to take care of my greed. I'm not going to take care of my covetousness. But but I'm going to just put a fence around my sin. And I'm not going to deal with it, but I'm not going to let it out either. Okay, let me tell you, that's not an option. Okay? Hear that out. That's not an option. You can't just leave your sin inside to simmer. You can't just soak in your self-pity. You can't just burn in your lust or covetousness and expect that sin that is crouching outside the door is not going to pounce on you. Okay? What God's telling Cain is you either deal with it now or sin is going to master you. It's going to rule over you. Friends, don't think that you can cage your sin. Man, I see people making this mistake all the time. Their, their heart is not right. They haven't done anything horrible yet, but they don't fix their heart. They don't respond immediately. Say, I got to get my heart where it needs to be. If your heart is wrong with your brother, don't think you can just keep it there. 
that's, a, that's foolish to think you can just put a cage around your sin. You can put a fence around your sin. You, you can just keep it inside. It, it won't be kept inside. You can't put sin on a leash. It's not a pet. You can't hold on to it. You either kill it or it's going to kill you. You either control it or it's going to control you. But it cannot be tamed. But instead of being concerned with his heart, instead of fixing his sacrifice like he has opportunity to here, the Lord says to him, Cain, you're angry. Cain, your face has fallen. Cain, if you do well, you'll be accepted. He's got all kinds of opportunity to get things right. Instead of getting it right, Cain leaves his sin alone in his heart. And it results in him premeditating and then carrying out the cold-blooded murder of his brother. So sin was conceived in the heart of Cain. It mastered him and he killed his brother. Now God comes to him again. Again, second time in this passage. It's so significant to me that Cain has this opportunity initially. Okay? But now God comes to him a second time. And he asks him this question. Cain, where's your brother? Now does God not know where, where Abel is? God knows where Abel is. But just like when he came to Adam, remember? And he says, where are you, Adam? What, what was that for? What that's for is saying, hey, take a look at your heart, Adam. Take a look at what's going on inside of you. Take a look at what you've done. And in the same way, he's telling, he's telling Cain, Cain, where's your brother? Well, Cain answers in a couple different ways. We'll start with the second way first. He says, am I my brother's keeper? What, what's he saying there? That's one of the most famous lines in, my, in the Bible. Am I my brother's keeper? People use it all the time. You, you know what he's saying? Hey, I'm not responsible for my brother. You know, it's interesting that the whole rest of the Bible disagrees with Cain on that. You ever thought about that? I mean, what did Jesus say? Jesus said, you know, first commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What's the second one, folks? Are you, are you hearing that? What is the second commandment? Love your neighbor as yourself. You are responsible for your brother. Cain was responsible for Abel. You're responsible for his well-being. The book of James, the Bible tells us that we have a responsibility to feed the, the hungry and to care for the, the sick and to visit those in prison. It tells us we have a responsibility to meet the physical and spiritual needs of our brother. In fact, verse John 4.20 says, If a man does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? Matthew chapter 24 tells us that if we don't, if we don't how we minister to the, the saints, the people of God, is how we treat Jesus as well. So yes, Cain, you are your brother's keeper. There's a lot of things you can't do for your brother. I understand that. Book of Psalms tells us we can't we can't save our brother. You know, we can't we can't bring repentance for him. We wish we could, but we can't. But we are responsible for them as much as as it's in our power. But here's the real issue. The real issue is not that Cain doesn't know where he's at. Cain knows where he's at. He buried him there. Okay. The real issue is that Cain's trying to hide his sin from God. He's not admitting his sin. See, I don't know where he is. That's a lie. Am I my brother's keeper? That, that's just trying to dodge the subject. And so here's what God says in response to that. Verse 10. Man, listen to this. This, this changed my life, okay? I have never thought of this verse in this way until yesterday, okay? But I, I guarantee you I will never think of my sin the same way. Here's what verse 10 says. And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. 
God is the king. Is that right? He's the king. He's the creator. We just saw that in Genesis 1 and 2. He's the creator of all that is. Everything that exists on the planet belongs to God. God is sovereignly ruling over this world. And as the sovereign ruler, God is responsible for justice. Okay? Just like every ruler and every king is responsible for justice. And so when Cain sins against his brother, when he murders Abel, the the blood of Abel, the, the, the act of violence, that very act cries out to the king of the universe for justice to be done. Cain's trying to hide his sin. He's trying to act like God didn't see it. He's trying to think, here's Cain's mindset. Nobody saw me do it. Nobody saw me swing the axe. Nobody saw me bury the body. Nobody saw me. That's foolish, Cain. You can't hide sin from God. And the reason is, is because sin cries out to God for justice. Now I want you to magnify the implication of this. Here's, Here's what really caught my heart yesterday. When I started thinking about that. When I started thinking about God's the judge, God's the king, God, God's the ruler of the universe. And when I started considering that, that this one sin in, 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 at the beginning of the world cried out to God for justice, I started thinking about all the sins being committed every day around the world. Have you thought about that? All the acts of violence? Have you thought about every gossip that gets, that gets spread? Have you thought about every, every slanderous word? Have you ever thought about every cursing that gets done? Have you ever thought about every domestic abuse? Hey, have you ever thought about all the, the sinful, vile thoughts? And if what we read here in Genesis is true, every one of those thoughts, every one of those deeds, every one of those words cries out to God for justice to be done. Can you imagine the roar in the ears of God for the sin of the world? You know, people, people say things like, why doesn't God just... Sweep the sin under the rug. It's not a big deal. God doesn't see my sin. He doesn't care about what I watch on TV. Not only does God care, but God hears the roar in his ears. What if you and I could hear that? How many, how many times you, you know what you're doing is wrong, but you just keep doing it because you're angry or you're greedy or you're full of self-pity? What if, what if in the midst of those actions, what if we could hear it? What if, what if we could hear? Justice. God, justice needs to be done on Jason. Justice. God, your wrath needs to be... What if we heard that? What if, what if our sins cried out in, in an audible way? You know what? I bet we'd repent a lot quicker, wouldn't we? Think about this. Every wicked deed you've ever done, every act of violence, every sinful word, every God-dishonoring thought, crying out that you be punished for that. It's a voice so loud it would deafen us. What are you going to do about that? Let me tell you the only hope. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 24. If you've been listening to what I've been saying and you've taken it heart, this verse, it's going to be like a breath of fresh air. Okay? Are you ready? And to Jesus, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, 
and to the sprinkled blood. It's talking about the blood of Jesus that dropped from the cross. The sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You see the picture there? Abel's blood cried out for justice to be done. Jesus' blood cries out for mercy based on what Christ did on the cross. You see, my sins cry out to God that I be punished. But Jesus shed blood on the cross. The blood that that, that spilled from his body as he was being tortured for my sins. That blood cries out for mercy to be given to all those who are joined to Christ. Isn't that good news? Jesus' blood speaks better, louder than the blood of Abel. As loud as our sins cry out for justice, the blood of Jesus Christ spilt on the cross cries out for mercy. That's the only hope for us, friends, is the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. Well, we're not sure about Cain. Um, Some people want to think that maybe he repented. There's even a guy I really respect that, that believes that. I, I don't see that in the passage. In fact, when, when his punishment is handed out, it seems that God is incredibly merciful to him. Uh, he says in verse 11, You are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. I don't ever see that that Cain really came to grips with what he'd done or his sin. But what about you? The Bible says we're all sinners and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And your sin, just like Cain's, cries out to God that you be punished. Have you come to grips that the only hope for you and the only hope for me is a faith relationship with Jesus Christ? It's us turning away from our sin, being joined to Christ, So that the blood of Jesus speaks louder, speaks better than the blood of Abel. How about your heart? Oh, God's so merciful to us, isn't he? When our heart's not right, he puts his finger on it. I wonder if there's some of you today that came in this room and your heart was not where it needed to be. You know what I pray? And I I trust this happened already. The Holy Spirit has put his heart, his, his finger on your heart. And now it's the question, what are you going to do with that? How are you going to respond? You know what Cain did? Nothing. He just, he just bottled up the sin, the self-pity, the anger, the frustration, the whatever. And he kept it there. Sin was crouching at the door. It overtook him. It ruled him. It mastered him. And he did a horrible thing. The consequences extend to this day. What are you going to do? God's got his finger on your heart. How are you going to respond? I pray that you would, you would do what God tells us to do. Hey, get your heart right. If you do well, won't you be accepted? The answer to that is yes. Let's do well. Father, we thank you for, for the shed blood of Jesus Christ that speaks better and louder than the blood of Abel. Father, we rejoice in, in, in your blood that that cleanses us from our sin. That takes away our, our iniquity and our transgression. Father, we ask that you would, uh, would help us to recognize when our hearts are not right. 
And Father, help us to deal with that quickly. Uh, Lord, help us not to try to cage our sin or to think that we can, we can keep it inside. Father, help us to see it, it waits outside our door, crouching, uh, ready to pounce. Father, help us to deal with our sin by, by bringing it to the cross, by repentance and faith. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.